Thank you so much for that. Didn't Pastor Brian do a phenomenal job last week teaching us the Word of God? If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or watch it online on one of our, uh, one of our venues for that. He did a great job talking to us about uh, how we use our time, that most valuable commodity that God has given to each one of us. And some of you, over the course of the last year, have bumped into or gone face first into an, an environment uh, a situation in which you look and you say, wow, our time really is valuable. When I got extremely sick this last uh, August the 30th um, and went into the hospital and found myself in the ICU, it was a good opportunity to reflect on time is very limited. Let us not take for granted that which the Lord has given to us. So I appreciate Brian telling us in that phrase, love is in the details, rings true in all of our hearts. Speaking of Pastor Brian, you, maybe you don't know, he's my son-in-law, but maybe you don't know, he's got a favorite Bible character. Does anybody know what his favorite Bible besides Jesus is in the Bible? Anybody know? Yes, it's Samson. Good job. Of course you know that, Anthony. It's, it's Samson. Samson is, is Pastor Brian's favorite character. And so some of you, I didn't, but some of you have the opportunity of being raised in the church. Like little Hendrick's gonna have the opportunity to be raised in the church. Like, like little Kinsley's gonna have the opportunity to be raised in the church. And these children are learning the precepts of the word of God. They're, they're learning the Bible stories. So they might be learning even the story of Samson, which is Pastor Brian's favorite character, who, who uh, has an interesting story. I was a, you'll never believe this, but I was a children's Sunday school teacher some 30 years ago. I worked with all kinds of ages, but I remember teaching these, this group of, I don't know, 19 fifth graders that would meet in this classroom with me every single Sunday morning. And I would teach them the Bible stories and we'd reflect and we've had application and all the things that you do in Sunday school to try to get it into the depths of their being. Allow me to read to you a short uh, excerpt from Samson's story. And when I do this, I'm at, by design going to try to read it to you as though you were my fifth graders and you're in my Sunday school class. And let's see if I do something wrong here. Judges chapter 15, verse number nine. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Leah. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave, the rock of Edom, and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and to hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourself. They, they agreed. We, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And as he approached Leah, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and the, sp the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now remember that. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. He killed them all with the jawbone of a donkey. He executed a thousand people brutally with the jawbone of a donkey. 
He took the jawbone of a donkey and the teeth from the donkey and he slammed it in the side of their heads and their skulls cracked open and flesh and brains oozed out. Then Samson said with a jawbone's do- with a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them with a do- jo- donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. So not only did he brutally attack and savagely execute a thousand people with the, with the jawbone of an ass, he also sang a song about it afterwards. That, children, is what it's like when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. Have a great day, fifth graders. Right? Now, now we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. A quote you probably never heard of before would be similar to that's, that's what happens when the spirit of the Lord comes upon a man. And when I say man today, I mean man and woman. But that is the lesson of this story. That, that is the point of this story. Question, what does this story tell us about who the spirit of the Lord is? The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson The rest of the time, if you read the story, he was an idiot. He behaved like an idiot. I mean, he he was an idiot. He talked like an idiot. He did stupid things. But when the spirit of the Lord came upon him, something powerful happened in his life. We see many times throughout the scriptures where the spirit of the Lord comes upon a person. I'm going to read to you a few excerpts of some examples of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon a person, and I'd like you to kind of hang with me. We're going to start in Judges chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. But when they cried out to the Lord, this is Othniel, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came on him, so he became Israel's judge, and he went to war, and ultimately it says he overpowered them. Judges chapter 6, if you'll turn there, just one verse, verse number 34. When the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Judges chapter 11, one of my favorite stories about a guy named Jephthah. In verse number 29, the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. See, when the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, he was a mighty warrior of God, conquering even though he was undermanned. 1 Samuel chapter uh, chapter 16, just one verse, verse number 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, anointed David in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, listen, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Shortly after that, he had an encounter with a, with a little guy named Goliath. And if you remember that story, the spirit of the Lord came upon him so much that he sprinted toward the giant. He, had, he killed him, I mean, knocked him down with the rock, sprinted toward him, took the giant's own sword and cut his head off. One of the first things he did was go to war. 
So I repeat my question, what does the Bible tell us about who the Spirit of the Lord is? Let's talk about Jesus for one second. Jesus, whose image, in my humble opinion, has, has suffered greatly in our church, in our church world, and in culture. What was it that made Jesus so outraged, so upset, that he sat down and in an act of premeditated aggression, built for himself a whip of cords, and then having built a whip of cords, used it on the merchants who were occupying the temple courtyards? What was it that caused him to sit down and make a whip, take that whip, turn it on the people who were in the temple courtyards and beat the thunder out of them until they ran and fleed? That's Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. What was it? Well, the Bible tells us in John chapter two, and we'll take a look at that right now. John, if you got your Bible, chapter two. What was it that caused him to do this? Verse number 13, let's begin reading there. This is the story. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus, what was it? It was zeal for the house of God. It was passion for the house of God. It was the church that Jesus became indignant on behalf of. Amen. That the church should not become a vessel for the world. The church should become an extension of the king. Amen. We lean on the fact that Jesus was meek, that Jesus was mild, that Jesus was kind. And he was. And he is. But he was also the one who said to us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, verse number 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over the land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. <laughs> Them's fine words. <laughs> What's my point? Our God is a warrior because there are some things in life worth fighting for. Amen. He makes a man, he makes a woman a warrior in his own image because he intends for us to join him in the battle. Amen. One day a young man by the name of Moses who happened to be the prince of Egypt, the elect, if you will. He went out to see for himself what was going on, the oppression of his people. And when he saw an Egyptian taskmaster abusing and beating a Hebrew slave, one of his own, one of his own people, he became outraged. He couldn't bear it. 
So a warrior spirit rose within him and he killed the man with his bare hands. An act for which he becomes a fugitive, but that warrior spirit had emerged inside of him and years later, God sends him back to the people, to Egypt, to free the Israelites from the bonds of slavery. And through an intense fight to win their freedom, it indeed happened. David, David, David. David fights battle after battle after battle for freedom of his people to be able to unite the tribes of Israel. Something inside him had compelled him to fight. The same something would not allow a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln to simply sit by and watch the union tear itself apart. That same something wouldn't allow a man by the name of Winston Churchill to sit by and watch the Nazis take over Europe unopposed, which was contrary by many of his countrymen. They didn't agree with him. They thought they should stay out of it, Winston. We're gonna, we should keep the United Kingdom, we should keep England out of this battle. But Winston Churchill had enough wisdom to know that if the Nazis took Europe, they would take England as well. There are certain things in life that are worth fighting for. Doctors. Doctors fight for the lives of their patients, worth fighting for. Teachers, teachers fight for the hearts and the futures of their students, worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Your grandchildren are worth fighting for. Your friendships are worth fighting for. And your church is worth fighting for. Zeal for the house of God. I want you to think of anything good, true, beautiful upon the earth and ask yourself, can you protect this without a fight? And I would say, I would suggest to you that the answer to the question is no. You cannot protect it without a fight. Let me illustrate it with a movie that came out, oh, probably a decade ago or so, you might remember called, one of my favorite movies, called Cinderella Man. In the movie, true story, based upon a true story, Cinderella Man, a boxer by the name of James J. Braddock, he, it's based upon his life. He begins to lose a series of fights in his life. And it looks like his career is beginning to tank. Why does he lose? Because in his own admission, he lost the reason to fight. But when the Great Depression hit, it threatened to tear his family apart. And a fire got lit inside that man. And he makes a startling comeback, according to the book and according to the movie defeating boxers that were much younger than him and, and much stronger than him. His manager, his own manager was stunned by the way that he was turning things around and becoming a powerful force and a warrior. And he asked him, Braddock, where'd that come from? Well, it came from within. A sleeping warrior awakened inside of him. In fact, in a press conference, he was asked a similar question. James A. Braddock was asked a similar question, this boxer. And the question was this from one of the, one of the people in the press, what are you fighting for? And his answer was a simple one word. You might remember this from the movie. Here was his answer. Milk. I'm fighting to feed my 
family. I'm fighting for the survival of my family. And here's what I know, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the battle has to strike close to home in order for the warrior to rise up inside a human being. And some of you might be going through a battle right now. I'm not saying that God has caused it, but, but a suggestion might be that our good and gracious God might just be allowing it for a short season so the warrior will finally rise up inside of you and you will fight the fight of faith on behalf of yourself or your family or your job or your neighborhood or your school or your workplace or whatever it is. One of... There is something that interrupts the desire to fight. Passivity. It will interrupt the desire to fight every time. One of the, one of the saddest stories in all of history is when the people of God, after their dramatic exodus from the slavery that they had in Egypt, remember they crossed over the Red Sea, the dry ground. And after they got over, the Egyptian soldiers were chasing after and the waters consumed them and it was a victory. How could you possibly doubt that God be for us? One of the saddest stories is found right after this. The Israelites are standing on the brink of an entirely new land that God had promised to them. Scholars tell us they were anywhere from a day and a half's walk to maybe 13 or 14 days walk. That's all they had to walk to get into the promised land. Big deal. That's all they had to do. But we read in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the saddest stories that you will read in all of scripture. And I'd like you to look there with me if you would. The very beginning, Deuteronomy chapter one, I'm gonna look at verse number 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us, of, of the people that are trying to attack us, okay? Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites there. That's like giants in the land. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. I'm gonna look at verse 41. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. Let me tell you what happened. 
They were instructed by God to fight. They just got over the Red Sea. They just overcame. They had no way of knowing where they're going because the GPS wasn't working on their iPhones. And so God said, I'm gonna send you a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and you just gotta follow those. What an awesome system that God put in place. They're seeing this, they're hearing this. The Lord is, God is speaking to them. The miracles have taken place. They just came out of the 10 plagues and the 10th plague was the firstborn and everybody was spared in their camps and yet now they grumble because God says, you go fight. I can't be tall people. And they make up all the excuses that you just heard and they didn't go fight. And then they do a 180. Oh, oh, God really means this. Then I'll go and fight. And God said, too late. And I don't want God to say too late to you. Amen. Let me tell you something. When we embrace this part of the story, we oftentimes talk about our own wilderness experiences. Oh, man, it's tough. The Lord had me in the wilderness for like nine years. It was rough. All the drugs and the alcohol about blew my brain. But boy, finally I got through that wilderness experience and I came back to the Lord. You are, you are a fool. Because the wilderness experience in this story was never considered to be necessary. It's always communicated to us as avoidable. The reason they took a detour through the wilderness is because they wouldn't fight. And the reason many of you, many of us, many watching online are taking a detour through the wilderness experience is not because God is guiding you there. It is because you've refused to fight. I'm given the assignment in this three-part series to talk to you about your talents today. Time last week and talents this week. And I really felt the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me that your decision not to serve is gonna cause yourself or someone else to enter into a wilderness experience. And, and it's not a guilt thing. It is a compelling thing. It should compel us to do the right thing. We live in a world that is at war. And if you're misunderstanding me that I'm calling you to arms, I'm not doing that. I'm calling you to arms in the spiritual realm. We are supposed to fight back, but passivity has entered the ranks of the church. Somebody else will do it. What, what program do you have to offer me? What, what services does your church have? And I'm just gonna see what I can get rather than what can I contribute? What can I give? How can I be part of the solution instead of asking everybody else to solve my problems? Amen. Is this a little hard to hear? Good. Because we're entering into a season that I firmly believe is a season of war. On behalf of your children and your grandchildren, on behalf of your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, and on behalf of the church. Israel's refuse, refusal to fight is one of the saddest stories in the Bible, but it is not the saddest story in the Bible. For mankind, our worst moment has to be Adam's failure and the introduction of sin into the world. 
which got us into this whole mess in the first place. And, and that failure was marked by passivity. Now, I want to just answer a trivia question that may not be popular with 50% of the people on the planet. Who was the one who sinned? It was Eve. It was not Adam. Adam did not sin the way, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. And you're like, oh, you're gonna get in trouble for that. No, I won't, because the New Testament tells us, if you'll look in your Bible, the New Testament speaks to us on this very answer in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number two, verse number 14. So all you old ladies are looking, I'm gonna check that out, check that in context, is he looking at it? It says, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And all the men said, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm do it. Because Adam's sin was just as bad. In fact, might have been even a little worse. This is Troy's opinion, but it's at least just as bad. Adam sinned in a different way. Why? Oh, honey, this is beautiful apple. We're just a tree. We should be eating. It's going to be delicious. And on the other side of this, we get to be gods. Hey, baby, that's not a good idea. God truly told us we could have every, anything we want except for that. And, and I'm going to ask you to take your hand off that thing because I love you too much than to let you go down that road. Adam didn't do that. Sweetheart, not a good idea. I tell you what, before you do that, how about this? How about you and I come together and we just pray and we ask the Lord and we see what he says to us before we do that. Honey, the answer is no. And in fact, I'm going to stand between you and that tree because I care about you way more than you can even imagine. Adam didn't do any of that. He didn't engage, he didn't intervene, he didn't do a single thing. Adam was created to act, but Adam did not act. Adam was passive. And that spirit of passivity, that character trait, has unfortunately been passed down to us in the year 2024. How about you? Are, are you, are you? are you wimping out? Are you wimping out when it comes to using your talents for the glory of God? Are, are you passive when it comes to volunteering in the church because someone else is going to do it? I propose that, that we have created DMZs, demilitarized zones in our lives. You know, those places where we agree not to, like, do anything. Like, we've created DMZs, regions of passivity where we say, I, I, I won't bother you if you don't bother me. In fact, we've enlarged our DMZs so much that the enemy of our souls is thrilled about that because passivity yields absolutely nothing. Maybe it's in your realm of family finances. I won't bother you, you don't bother me. We're not gonna talk about this, how we spend our money, how we save our money. We're not gonna talk about any, how, what the future looks like. We're just not gonna go there. It's just too much conflict. Passivity. Well, we've got these difficult kids. I won't bother you if you don't bother me. You make your own choices, whatever you want to do. You know, it's, it's whatever, you know. Passivity. Really? Because that pillow you lay your head on at night, I think I've said that before, that's not your pillow. That belongs to me. I own that pillow. I can take that pillow anytime I want to take that pillow. The house that you sleep in, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. It's not yours. You think you're going to inherit this thing? No. I'm going to spend all the money before I die, right? That's not probably the truth, but 
But the point is, you raise your children and you direct your children. You don't, you've got to find the right way, right tools, or maybe we can help you with that. Conflicts and relationships, oh, I don't want to go there. They just are the way they are. And you're a doormat in that relationship or vice versa. Passivity, evangel, sharing your faith. Just, you know what, if God wants them to get saved, God will save them. That's not the way he planned it. The heart of a warrior says, I will not let evil have its way. The heart of a warrior says there are some things that cannot be endured. The heart of a warrior says, I've got to do something. The heart of a warrior says, there is freedom to be had. Here's what the heart of a warrior says. I will put myself on the line for you. I love how Isaiah puts it in the Living Bible translation. Isaiah says this. Because the Lord God helps me, I will not be dismayed. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint to do his will. And I know, and I know that I will triumph. Some of you are hurting right now. Some of you are going through kind of a, what I call like a life sucks season, right? It's really, really difficult. But here, here's, here's what I do know. I wish I would have made this as a slide to put on the screen. The hardship a man will endure, how long and tenaciously he will persevere is determined by the amount of warrior within him. Let me say it again. The hardship a man or woman will endure or how long and tenaciously you'll persevere it is determined by the amount of warrior within you you might hate your job <laughs> why don't you reframe it in your brain you persevere it's warrior training if you'll endure god is training you in this season you might have a difficult marriage you persevere you'll persevere only if you find the warrior inside yourself and you fight for the marriage, for the marriage, you might be at your wit's end as a parent. You'll thrive when you enter the fight, not against flesh and blood, not against your children. They're, they might act like little demons, but they're not, right? And, and you lead your family, not sit on the sidelines in passivity. There are some things in life worth fighting for, worth giving your time and your talent and your skills toward. Your marriage is one of those. Your, your kids, your grandkids, your job is one of those. You, whatever you do, work it with all your heart is one of the Lord, not for man, since you know you receive an inheritance of the Lord as reward is the Lord Christ you're serving, right? Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Your job is worth fighting for, but listen, Jesus said zeal for the house of God. Your church is worth fighting for. And the way you engage and enter the fight is you get involved. Father, thank you for this time, these wonderful people. Thank you for your word. We'll never return void. Thank you that you've assembled all of us in this place at this time for this word to respond, God, in a special way. God, I pray that you would really touch our hearts and lead us and guide us, inspire us and show us, God, where we need to let the warrior spirit rise up inside of us, where we've allowed passivity to engage and to enter in our personal lives, our professional lives, our church lives. God, I pray that you would show us even now 
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I gotta wonder, are there any warriors in the house of God today? If there's a warrior in the house of God, if there's somebody in the house of God that has been reminded that what you're doing is, is good and it's right before the Lord, that you should continue to fight the good fight of faith, then that's a warrior spirit. If there's somebody else in here who has identified that in an area or two of my life, I have been operating out of passivity, but no longer, I take a stand today, I'm no longer going to be passive and on the sidelines, but I will step up and be used by God as a warrior on behalf of him. If there's anybody in the house that has a warrior spirit inside of you, I want it to rise up and stand to your feet right now in this very moment. God, a warrior spirit has risen inside of me and I will not back up or slow down. God, I will be used by you in a mighty way. Allow the warrior spirit to come out of me on behalf of my family and my children and my grandchildren and my neighborhood and my city. God, in my church today, God, we call upon you. Let the warrior rise up in each one of us. Hallelujah. 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 Now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Slip your hands up to heaven. In Jesus' name, we surrender all the passivity to you. God, we surrender all the mistakes, all the sidelines that we've sat on. And today, God, we enter the game. We say we're no longer going to be on the side and on passivity, but God, instead, we're going to operate Oh, through the warrior spirit you have endowed upon us. God, do a work in the name of Jesus, we pray. We pledge it all to you. And everybody said, amen and amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on now. Warriors, rise up. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen, 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 listen. The ball is in your court. Typically, when you talk about talent and being used by God in the church, what we do is we pass out long sheets or we have people sitting in the, on the corners and saying, if you want to help in that area, go over there or go over there. Nothing wrong with that. Not this time. Because I believe, as I prayed, that the warrior spirit is going to rise up in someone and you can't help but to say, how can I be used in my church on behalf of God? So here's how you do that. You can talk to one of the pastors, but they've got the spirit of forgetfulness, I think, a lot of times. We, a lot of us do, right? So take that connect card right on there. How can I be used? Write your name and your number on that. Hand it to Pastor Trinity. Hand it to Pastor Brian, myself, Pastor Kyle, any one of us. Got, just give it to us. And then we'll follow up and have a conversation with you. No coercion, no manipulation. We want you to get connected to your church. You're like, I've only been here a couple of weeks. I don't care. You're part of the family of God and we want to graft you in. And as soon as you can, be used by God for his glory. There is a place for you at New Life Church. And we want to see God. We don't need your help. Say that with love. It's not like we need you to do something. We want you to be a part of something. You get to be a part of something. And you make it even richer and more vibrant and even better. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you for being a part. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest. And may he give you peace. Hi, I'm Brian, the online campus pastor here at New Life Church. First off, 
thanks for joining us today. We really hope you left today's message feeling challenged and inspired to live all out for God. But before the stream ends, we wanted to let you know about a few things. If, if you haven't already, make sure you're following us on social media. Just search New Life Church Network on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or Twitch. And not only will you find ministry updates, but also daily inspiration and encouragement. Now, every night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we host live prayer on Facebook. Don't miss out on this fundamental time of prayer with your church fam. Now, if you have a prayer request, you can always submit it at newlifeca.church prayer because we would love to know what's going on in your life. And if you're new today, then please know we do not expect you to give. But if New Life is your home church and you want to partner with the ministries and the vision, you can do so by going to newlifeca.church slash give or by texting the word online to 209-647-3878. None of this would be possible without new lifers who choose to irrationally give to Jesus. Lastly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life today, I would love to celebrate with you. Would you leave a comment below or maybe email me at brian at newlifeca.church? Because I would just love to celebrate with what God is doing in your life. Now, Matthew 6:33 it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And I pray that this verse blesses you as you leave the gathering and go back out into your life. All right, New Lifers, we can't wait to see you online again soon.